2: Hello, MD Nation. Welcome to the show. But today's episode is going to be brought to you by The Gallery. Based out of New York, The Gallery is a curated collection of photographs from around the world. While we are unable to travel, this is a great way to bring a piece of the world to you. All prints are made from 100% recycled aluminum, giving your wall that gallery finish. Right now, The Gallery is offering our listeners 15% off their purchase by using the promo code 15OFF. So go to thegallery.com. That's T H E G A. LRY.com. So your wall will never be boring again. And now for the show.
1: Welcome to Belly Up Sports, MD's fantasy football show.
0: Now for your host, Dan Mater.
2: And what's going on, MD? Nation, As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. We're back today with Around the Fantasy World Part 2. We already had news that broke last night and this morning that we're going to talk about in today's show. We also have a mailbag for segment for you guys at the end, and as always, make sure you're taking advantage of that mailbag segment. You can go ahead and and check us out on the MD Nation hotline, 609-362-2480, or contact us on social media, Twitter, Facebook, at BellyUpMDFFShow, or email the show directly, MDSFantasyFootball at gmail.com to get on those mailbag segments so we can talk about it. We can help you out. Look, we're a week away from having some serious start sit-ups. Hell, we're not even a week away. There's a lot of people who are asking start some questions even now. And we're prepared for you. Our weekly rankings aren't quite out just yet. We're going to have those out for you by early next week, obviously. Make sure you guys are all set up and ready to go. But it's that time of the year. We are now officially less than a week away from the kickoff of the NFL season. A lot of people have drafted already at this point, are talking about waivers, are talking about their star sit are talking about trades even. I got a question today that we're going to talk about in the mailbag segment about a possible trade. Everything's kicking off. It's full swing fantasy football season. It's the time of the year, the most wonderful time of the year. Now, like I said, we had a lot of things kind of kick off yesterday that we actually have to cover. Starting off with the Washington Redskins, we talked about Washington yesterday, but we got to talk about it again because all of a sudden, wake up this morning and what do I see? Well, shockingly, Adrian Peterson winds up being cut today. No one expected that. Now, we did know that there was most likely going to be two running backs cut from the Washington uh, football team because they have talked about going from five running backs to possibly only rostering three. Now, that does seem to be up in the air a little bit. They are going back and forth whether they want to roster four or three running backs. But the idea is that they may only wind up rostering three. The thought process was originally that it was going to be Peyton Barber and Bryce Love who wound up getting cut if they went down to three running backs. Instead, they went Adrian Peterson. Now, there's a lot of different reports. The news just came out, so obviously there's going to be several explanations, several insider tips as to why this cut in particular was made. The biggest one being that a lot of people think Antonio Gibson impressed so much early that they may wind up giving him a significant workload. But it's not clear if Antonio Gibson just became the number one back of Washington come week one. Does this clear the path for him at some point during the season of them probably giving him a shot? Yes, because you're talking about a team that's not going to be in the playoff race. So once they're out of it, they're just going to want to see what they have out of their young guys. I wouldn't be surprised if Gibson did wind up being the main running back sooner rather than later. And that's a change of tone for me. I'm one of the few people out here I'm not an Antonio Gibson fan. He has a versatile skill set. But he doesn't strike me as anything more than a number of players who have come before him with a versatile skill set who wind up being nothing more than gadget players who never truly find a real position in the NFL. This isn't a guy we have a lot of tape on. I've watched a few tapes that we do have on him. He didn't get a lot of touches in college. And more of his touches came at the wide receiver position than they did the running back position. So he still has a long learning curve. Which is why I've always been hesitant of what his rookie production could really wind up being. Not to mention, Washington's been muddling the entire running back situation anyway. And everyone knows that with the massive amount of running backs they had on the depth chart. And the reports every other day highlighting something different. I mean, even after this news comes out sources from the team talk about, well, Peyton Barber still might get some carries on the early down work where where Adrian Peterson was going to, and J.D. McKissick is still the guy in line for passing down roles. But then they have Antonio Gibson everywhere else in between. The guy who continually gets left out of the conversation is Bryce Love. He was praised about early on in camp, but since then, it's been pretty much, he's been on the roster bubble, and it's just dependent on whether the Washington Football Club wants to keep four running backs or only keep three if they decide to keep three it's still been Bryce Love who's been most likely on the chop block so there's still some confusion exactly who's going to be on this depth chart moving forward my take on it for fantasy purposes is is this Antonio Gibson's value definitely rises because to me this is a clear-cut sign that at some point whether it's week one or week four or week eight probably won't be it probably won't last until week eight but sometime between in the first half of the season, I think there's a real chance Antonio Gibson is going to be handed the reins. Now, when I say handed the reins, I'm not talking about they're actually going to use him as Chris McCaffrey, where he's going to be getting you know, 90% of the work share, whether it's carrying the ball or receiving the ball. Again, he still has a long learning curve to even learn the running back position, let alone making the adjustments to the NFL as a rookie. So you have to hamper your expectations. But did this this guy just become a value in the 8th, ninth rounds or later in PPR formats? Yes. Now, I say I stress PPR formats or even half-point PPR formats to a degree. Because if you're talking about standard leagues, I still don't believe that this guy is going to be in there at the red zone. He's not built to be that type of back. And if you're going to keep Peyton Barber, and if you're going to give Peyton Barber a role, it would make sense that that would be his role. And I still don't even mean 80% of the receiving work because they've been pretty much talking about this whole time that they want J.D. McKissick involved. That he was going to be more than just special teams. and That's why he made this roster. So there's a lot that we're going to have to unpack over the next few days. We're going to get a better indication especially come Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, when they start practicing as normal for their week one matchup. We're going to get a better indication once those practice reps come out exactly what it's going to look like, at least for week one. But this definitely opens up the door for Antonio Gibson, but I want to make sure MD Nation out there isn't rushing to draft him in the fourth, fifth, or even sixth rounds. Because you have to keep in mind, from from a football standpoint, there is still a long learning curve that he has, for the running back position, and for the NFL. And that's why that's the biggest reason why I've been hesitant on him. Not to mention, this isn't a very good offense. This isn't an offense that's going to have a lot of scoring opportunities. So unless he does take over at some point early on in the season as the main bell cow, both rushing and receiving, volume is going to have to be the name of the game for him to be a fantasy weekly play. Now maybe he takes over all the passing round work and that, that might be enough in PPR leagues to make him a at least a viable flex piece to think about the plug-in from week to week. But volume is going to have to be the name of the game because the scoring opportunities are not going to be there in abundance with this team. So there's a cap to the ceiling as far as that goes as well that you have to take in consideration. But big news breaking out because this... this, this Changes a lot of things for this Washington football club. It even changes my tone on what Antonio Gibson's outlook could possibly be this season. Now I'll admit it. I haven't been a fan. I don't trust gadget players when it comes to the NFL. I don't trust the hype that they get in training camp. They look great in drills until they actually get on the NFL field. And then suddenly these guys who have all these gadgets and these roles played out for them suddenly disappear. And I keep calling him a gadget player because I don't think he's quite ready yet to be a true running back because of how long the learning curve that he has in front of him that he needs to get through. But Adrian Peterson getting cut does indicate to me and to everybody else that Antonio Gibson will be a major producer sooner rather than later. So that's why I'm urging MD Nation that he is a value once you get to the 8th, 9th, 10th, 10th rounds. That'll be reflected in the rankings. Like I said, I just woke up the morning with the news. So I just updated my rankings yesterday because of the Josh Gordon and uh, Leonard Fournette situation. So we're going to have to update those again. Kind of reflect and go back and look at the numbers and see what we kind of expect. But make sure you're following us on Twitter, at Show. Make sure you're following us there because we're going to keep you up to date with all player news notifications, there's going to be a lot of news around this backfield in the next coming days of practice. That's going to be the indication to us one way or another what we expect early on in the season, what their thinking process was with cutting Adrian Peterson, what it is they have in mind. So make sure you keep that because that could be very well, that could have a lot of indications, a lot of fantasy indications. Now, to get to the teams that we actually wanted to talk about today, because we talked about Washington yesterday, but of course we had to have that news come out. Starting off with the Los Angeles Chargers, to kind of pick it up where we left off. Now we have Mike Williams. He might miss four to six weeks. That was counting back from about a week or two ago, so we're probably looking at three to five weeks at this point. A significant amount of time. I do not think that in a normal 10-12 team league, half-point PPR, or any scoring format for that matter, in a, in a normal 10-12 to 12 redraft league, that there's any reason to draft Mike Williams. He was already a guy who was going into a situation that was very limited ceiling-wise. Your hope was that Tyrod Taylor would be able to find him in the end zone more than Phillip Rivers would be able to. But now if he's going to be three to five games in before we even see his first action of the season. And who knows what state of the offense is going to be in at that point. I think Mike Williams becomes more of a guy that is a top waiver wire player or is a guy that if you want to take with your last pick in your draft or maybe your last couple of rounds because you can pick him up and if you have an IR spot, you can put him on the IR and save him because you do think he's going to be a good red zone target for you at some point during the season. Then... I would say that's an angle to look at it, but he's nothing more than a deep sleeper at this point, and I don't think he's somebody who has to be drafted. We've already talked about how the, all the pass catchers on the Chargers have a ceiling cap this season because they're not going to be throwing the ball nearly as much as they have been the last few years with Phillip Rivers. Tyrod Taylor, his career high was about 437 pass attempts. That was under Anthony Lynn. And they're going to be changing the offense now that Philip Rivers isn't out there. I, I've had this argument with several people before as well, where it seems like they don't seem to understand that they're not going to be running the same offense that they were running when Phil Rivers was the quarterback. I don't know why. But they're all like, oh, it's the same coaching staff, same scheme. No. Andy B. Lynn never really got to truly run his scheme with Phil Rivers as the quarterback because it didn't really fit. His true scheme is what we saw in Buffalo with Tyrod Taylor. A run-first approach, downhill approach, play action, quarterback bootlegs, things of that nature. That's what Anthony Lynn truly wants to run. That's what they're going to run now that were the Chargers. But that puts a cap on the pass attempts that are going to be available this season. Not to mention the fact that even with Derwin James out, this is still a pretty good defense. So the Chargers are going to be able to play more smash-mouth, conservative-type football this season. Why I was, that's why I have Keenan Allen dropping from where he was a year ago. It's why I even had Mike Williams in double-digit rounds before this injury news uh, happened. So Mike Williams is really nothing more than a sleeper target, especially with this injury. Dustin uh, Jackson did hurt his foot in scrimmage. We are still waiting for him to come back to practice, and this might have just opened up the door for joshua kelly to at least start the season as the number two now i have been you know all summer long again fantasy football changes on the dime you have injury news teams make surprising cuts and that's been that's been a, i mean that's been the theme of the week surprising cuts for the week but i've been big on justin jackson being the number two and that's the way it was transpiring until this injury Because it had been a close battle, but it seemed like Justin Jackson was actually beating out Justin Kelly for that number two spot. Now, might not be so much. Because now if he hurts his foot, even though it's not serious, even though there's talk that he should be active for week one, it might have paved the way for Kelly to jump in front of him in that position battle for that number two role. Which is a pivotal one, because that number two role in the Chargers could mean goal line carries. Could mean 10 to 12 carries a game. Because, yes, I know everyone wants to point to one when Melvin Gordon wasn't there last year. Austin Eckler got all this work. That's not really the game plan that they want to do. They want to utilize Austin Eckler with. You don't want to give a guy like Austin Eckler 20 carries and seven receptions a game. It's, it, that's too many touches for a guy who's built like Austin Eckler. It's not what he's there for. So that's not what they're going to look to do. Justin Jackson and Joshua Kelly are going to look to take some of that workload away. It's just a matter of who wins that number two job. And I've been big on Justin Jackson because I think he's, he's a better player. He's a better talent. He's more explosive. But now, in a pivotal part of the season, he has an injury that can't allow him to practice. And we're getting really close to week one. So the only chance that he has to really come back as the number two is if he suddenly is able to get back to practice and have a full week of practice next week. And I do think if that winds up being the case, that he will wind up being Joshua Kelly out for the number two spot early on in the season. We'll see what happens when we go later on. Justin Jackson doesn't have the greatest history of being able to stay durable. But I do believe Anthony Lynn is going to lean more towards the veteran way this season, especially that he has Tyrod, especially since the Chargers are in a situation that they are trying to compete for the playoffs. At least they are a playoff expected team. So usually when you have a playoff expected team, unless a rookie is completely blowing you away, which hasn't been the case in Joshua K. he's been been good, but he hasn't been blowing them away, you're usually going to lean more towards the veteran, especially to start the season. Because you want to start with the guy that you know for sure that you can trust, especially when you're in a very competitive situation. So if Justin Jackson can return in the next couple of days and get a full workload of practice in, we may see him recoup his number two role. But that's something else we're going to have to remain to be seen. You're going to have to be following us on Twitter, at BellyUpMDFFShow, to keep up the date on. And we'll talk about that, obviously, when we're back next week. Darrell Williams for Kansas City has been taking reps in front of DeAndre Washington, and the last time I checked, there was talk about DeAndre Washington possibly being on the bubble, and that surprised me as well, because to me, I thought DeAndre Washington was one more versatile than Darrell Williams, is a bigger guy, so he could handle the goal line work, and he's a proven pass catcher. I thought it made sense to me that DeAndre Washington, of all the Kansas City Chiefs backs, would be the handcuff to Clyde Edward Tiller, and that does not seem to be the case. Now, Darrell Williams, what his skill set is, it makes it's not like it doesn't make sense to me why it complements Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as well as it does. And from all intents and purposes, he has been splitting reps with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in training camp, splitting the first team reps. And it's not surprising to me that they're probably thinking short yardage situations, goal line situations. I've been saying that the entire time. It's why Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is not a first round pick to me because the touchdown opportunities, I do not believe are going to be there because I don't think we're going to see him on the red zone, on the goal line, very often. Now, the one thing that he gets a saving grace from is because this is the Kansas City Chiefs that we're talking about, they probably run shotgun in the red zone more so than any other team. So that's where he'll still get some opportunities. It's not going to be all taken away. But when they look to go power run at the goal line, when they look to go power run in short situations, Clyde Desarolaire is not going to be the guy out there. And it looks like, because of the way the practice reps have been getting taken, it's going to be Darrell Williams. Who showed some promise a season ago. When he was out there, he was effective. But yeah, there's there's some real question. DeAndre Washington may be a guy who actually winds up being on the roster bubble. Now, I don't I don't understand why they wouldn't just keep the three of them. But a lot of times when it comes to that third running back on the roster, it's are you a major contributor on special teams? And if he's not, then a lot of times those guys do wind up getting cut, even though they have probably better talent. For their actual position that they're 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 on the depth chart for, but that has been that's been the case so far. As far as what's going on in the training camp for them, now as far as anything outside of that, there hasn't been too many notes for the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, Watkins got banked up a little bit early on, but he's been practicing. He's still expected to be the wide receiver too. Hill and Hill came back from um, a little bit of a tweak hamstring. He came back pretty quickly, so it wasn't really anything to worry about there. We haven't heard anything negative about Travis Kelsey as far as... And, I mean, with all these guys, we're talking about, you know, are they healthy? Kelsey's healthy. Mahomes is healthy. Uh, Miko Hartman's healthy. Uh, Watkins and Hill are all healthy now. The only, the only note that was really coming out is who's going to be the other running back besides Clyde Oversholaire. So that's good to know there, too, especially from a heavy fantasy team and a team that's going to be playing next Thursday that you need to know a little bit earlier about. Next thing I want to talk about are the Indianapolis Colts. Now, for the Indianapolis Colts, we have quite a few notes to talk about here because there was a lot of position battles that we weren't sure exactly how we're going to shake out. So it looks like Parrish Campbell is going to be the starting slot wide receiver for the Indianapolis Colts. Which, I was already not big on T.Y. Hilton. But I have been saying for most of the summer when, when, and we didn't talk about T.Y. Hilton a lot. We didn't talk about the Colts a lot this year, actually, just outside the backfield. But when brought up, I did say that I might be ranking T.Y. Hilton too low if their plan is to move him all around and let him play a lot of slot. Because if he let, they let him play a lot of slot, then he could be Phillip Rivers' Keenan Allen. They're moving him all around, be his possession receiver, and we know that when Hilton's actually right and he's healthy, he still has the explosive ability to take the ball to the house. So I admitted that I might be ranking him too low, but overall, I don't think this is a team that's going to be throwing the ball close to 600 times, even though they brought in Felt Rivers. With that offensive line and the resources that they have at running back, I believe that they're going to be a pretty run-heavy team. And at this point in Phil Rivers' career, I think the smart play would be to try to take the ball out of his hands a little bit. Simplify it for him. Don't put the game on his shoulders. If last year proved anything, is that the putting the game on his shoulders is gone. And he can't say it wasn't because of the weapons, because he had plenty of weapons with the Chargers. Plenty. His days of putting this team on his back are over. So I think that would be the smartest thing to do. So if Paris Campbell is going to be your bona fide slot receiver, T.Y. Hilton's still going to have to play the perimeter. I do think that means that our ranking on T.Y. Hilton, and I'll pull it up for you in in a second, is probably pretty accurate as far as what you can really expect, where I don't feel like I'm projecting him on the low side. I feel like I might be projecting him dead on now. Because that ceiling is going to get capped if he's not going to be able to put put in position to get those extra targets, those extra receptions that I recognize that he might be able to get. And I have him as wide receiver 38. I also don't have T.Y. Hilton playing 16 games. I have him playing 13 because the past few years, that's been the other issue, is that he has been consistently nicked up. So Paris Campbell playing the slot, for his purposes, for Philip Rivers' purposes, doesn't matter much for fantasy football. But it does matter, I think, when it comes to T.Y. Hilton a little bit. Michael Pittman and Pascal have been battling it out for that other perimeter wide receiver spot. It does look like they're leaning towards the rookie. They're leaning towards Michael Pittman, which makes sense. Because this is a team that lacks true red zone targets. And that's the one thing about Michael Pittman. He's not a guy who's overexplosive. He's not a guy who's overly dynamic. But he is a guy who catches the ball well in traffic. And he's a big-bodied receiver. Of uh, 107.5, the fan from Indianapolis, on the show in back in, I believe, May or June. And he I asked him the question, could Michael Pittman actually lead this team in touchdown receptions? And he said, it's possible. It's possible because they don't have a true red zone target. And with Trey Burton now expected to miss the first two weeks of the season who was ramping up to be their number one passing, catching tight end because Jack Doyle is somebody who had gotten banged up for a significant amount of training camp. He is back now, but even he's never been a huge red zone threat. He's always usually been gobbled up by the second tight end, like Eric Gibron. He hasn't been able to stay healthy consistently. So the only true red zone target in my mind that they have is Michael Pittman. So he has some potential as a rookie. Now, it's going to be very touchdown-dependent, but there is going to be some value there, and it does look like he's going to beat out Zach Pasco for that other starting spot. The other news and note that has remained consistent and the same all throughout training camp, not just from coach speak, but also uh, obvious from the first-team practice reps that they have been getting, is that Marlon Mack, Jonathan Taylor are truly a 1A, 1B situation. They have been splitting first-team reps all throughout training camp. And, unfortunately for the both of them, Naeem Hines has been in on third downs almost every single time with the first team as well. So it does truly seem like this is shaping up to be what I feared it to be, why I don't have as much value on any one of the Colts running backs as anybody else does. I certainly don't have Jonathan Taylor, somebody you should be taking in the third, fourth round. MD nation, say it with me. Let someone else make that mistake and read draft leagues because now you have a three-way committee and that's what it's been shaping up to be in practice. If you're going to take away the receptions from Jonathan Taylor, Marlon Mack, and then they're going to be splitting carries on top of it. Well, then both of them are looking at a max of 12 to 14 touches a game. If that's enough for you to think that Jonathan Taylor belongs in the third, fourth round, then by all means, but I'm telling you right now, you are playing with fire. You are playing with a low floor because if he doesn't bust one on those touches, on those two touches that he's in line to get, he's going to be a dud in your starting lineup. And that's why I'm not big on, I'm not big on Marlon Mack or Naeem Hines either, but that's why I'm not big on any one of these running backs for the Indianapolis Colts, and I'd rather just stay away from it altogether. Is there a path for Jonathan Taylor to take over at some point? Yeah, absolutely there is. We love his talent here. Talent's not the question for this show when it comes to Jonathan Taylor. But Marlon Mack is no schlub. Marlon Mack is a pretty good back. Marlon Mack's a guy who's rushed for over 1,000 yards. And his biggest knock has been his durability. But if you put him in this situation where maybe he's getting capped at 14 touches, maybe he stays healthier longer. And if he stays healthier longer and he's being efficient behind that offensive line and that offense, which I expect him to continue to do, then unless they trade him, which I don't think is going to happen because this is a playoff-bound team, so I don't think they're going to be trading away assets. Well, then I don't, know that, I don't know that it's a fact that Jonathan Taylor definitely takes over this season. Next year, sure. Marlon Mack's gone after this year on his contract. But it's not a guarantee in my eyes that Taylor definitely takes over because Marlon Mack is not a bum. And people seem to just be neglecting that fact that that is a real possibility and I think more favorable than Taylor Ness, or I think at least 50-50 as far as the idea of Taylor taking over this backfield outright at some point during the season. I think, there, I think it's a 50-50 shot either way. To me, Taylor should be somebody you're taking eighth, ninth round as somebody who has the potential to take over and has maybe some flex appeal in the meantime. But you're taking him in the third, fourth round. You're taking him as your RB2. That's a mistake. You are going to, even if he does take over, it won't be till the second half of the season. You're going to be starting off the year behind the eight ball. And it's very hard in fantasy football to come back if you're starting 0 4. It's hard to do, even if your team winds up catching fire towards the end of the second half of the season. Not possible to do, but it's hard to do. Moving on. Houston Texans. I don't have much notes for them, surprisingly enough. David Johnson hasn't been banged up. He's been fine, so he's been playing okay. And the only interesting note that I think you guys need to know about, and you know, as a big Brandon Cooks person myself, and I've talked about that numerous times on this show, this is something that we do need to take in consideration for week one, if it is in fact a real thing, which is that Brandon Cooks has apparently been having his practice reps managed to make sure that he truly is past those concussion issues, or at least they don't want to chance him getting a concussion while in practice uh, before they get to start the season. That's a little concerning to me, especially as a guy who's been saying, you know, Brandon Cooks, he's my number one wide receiver on the Houston Texans. I think he's in line for a huge year, quite possibly. Because I know Wilford is going to hurt at some point anyway. I think Brandon Cooks is going to have a situation where he's going to have maybe two to three games, maybe even more, where he winds up being the only trustworthy pass catcher that Deshaun Watson has at some point this season. And I still believe all that, and I still believe even when both of these guys are on the field, Brandon Cooks is the number one target. But I will question whether that that's going to be week one now. Now maybe they've just been managing his practice reps, and and they've been. But the thing about what worries me about that the most is the chemistry between. Him and Deshaun Watson, have they been able to build that up enough? I don't think it's an overly huge concern. Brandon Cooks is still going to be out there starting. They're going to be playing Kansas City week one, which could wind up being a shootout. But it is something to take note of that they have been kind of playing with Brandon Cooks with kid gloves to some degree which may give the edge to Will Fuller early on while he's healthy as far as the targets go, where I was more on the impression that I thought Brandon Cooks out of the gate would be the more targeted wide receiver. Doesn't mean it won't happen, but there is something to kind of take in consideration there. Next team, Green Bay Packers. Actually, before we get to the next team, I got to talk to you guys about a sponsor for us called the DFS Doctors. Daily fantasy sports experts guiding you to be a winner in the NFL, the NBA, and the MLB. The DFS Doctors are a team with 7 plus years of experience in DFS who conduct comprehensive data analysis using advanced metrics to provide you with high quality FanDuel and DraftKings lineups. Their goal is for you to win big without having to spend hours researching yourself. And now if you use the promo code BELLYUP, you will get 15% off your next subscription. So check them out at the DFS Doctors on Twitter. Or you can go to CouchSmackSports.com. They do really do a great job of helping you win money. Uh, as print, they're worth the investment, flat out. And hopefully, uh, they're go- hopefully they're going to be actually a guest of ours in the new DFS show that I'm going to be a part of, coming out on Belly of Fantasy Sports on Saturday nights with Chris Pinto, who we already co-host the Belly of Fantasy Live show on Tuesday nights at eight thirty on Twitter and Facebook. This will also be on Twitter and Facebook along with uh, a podcast, all the podcast apps that you guys. No one love this show for. So now we get back to the Green Bay Packers. Surprisingly for a team that has a lot of question marks across the board, there's not a lot of major news or notes to give us any kind of clarification one way or another. Alan is expected to be the wide receiver too. We know Aaron Rodgers was talking up. Marquez Valdez, Scantling is having a good camp. But at the end of the day, and when it comes down to the depth chart, he's still just the third receiver. And we've heard the Scantling praise before. And it amounts to nothing and we've heard the Alan Lazard praise before we've heard the St. Brown praise before the fact is that outside of Devontae Adams there's not a receiver on the Green Bay Packers worth owning now keeping an eye on maybe in your waiver wire that, that's a totally different situation but drafting and redraft leagues now there's nobody worth having and it's not like you can point to a clear path to any one of them that has a high ceiling to take one of them late I'd rather have a John Ross, for instance, who's going in around the same territory as an Alan Lazard is, and he has a much clearer path in my eyes to more targets and possibility of being more of a boom-bust product in your flex position, Just, just to name one guy off the top of my head. The only really note that we have here is that they have confirmed that they do not expect A.J. Dillon to have much of a role, especially early in the season. I do not think A.J. Dillon is going to have much of a role at any point in this season, barring major injury to Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. A.J. Dillon is not there to usurp Aaron Jones. He's there in case they don't get a deal done with Aaron Jones after this season. That's what he's there for. Or, if they do get a deal done to play with Aaron Jones when Jamal Williams definitely leaves at the end of the season because his contract is up, too, and they're not going to be resigning him. But he's not there to be a contributor this year. So as a result, though, Aaron Jones has been kind of coming down as a value because a lot of people have been concerned about the idea that A.J. Dillon will be involved early on and be involved at some point this year. And I've been harping on that. It's not going to happen. Everyone has to get off this kick that because you are a running back drafted in the second round, that it automatically means you're going to get touches. It's not what it means. It's not what it means. It depends on what running back you are, and it depends on the situation that you were drafted to. I don't understand why that's such a hard concept for people to grasp. They're just like, no, running back, second round, if you're drafted there, that means you're going to play. No, it's not what it means. It's all relative it's all situation dependent and no one seems to acknowledge that fact fact fantasy experts are probably the biggest culprits of them all that's why i like doing this show i like to infuse a real a little nfl realistic expectations re, a little a little nfl reality into this show to kind of give you more of a perspective on how these things kind of actually break down Will Cam Akers be involved? Yes, because they don't have a true starting running back. Is J.K. Dobbins going to be involved? Yes, because the Ravens run the ball a ton, and J.K. Dobbins has a skill scout where he can pass the ball, and they have already have their thunder, and J.K. Dobbins can be their lightning. So he'll have a role. Is Anthony McFarlane going to have a big role now? He's a guy who has predominantly special team skills who predominantly in the NFL only grades out to really be a satellite receiving back who can't pass protect and Jalen Samuel still hasn't been cut. Will Jonathan Taylor have a role? Yeah, because Marlon Mack they know is not the future because they're not going to bring him back after this year when his contract is up. It depends on the situation. It's not just about what draft capital you spent. How many times did I get harped on that Darrell Henderson, again, the Rams, because he was taken in the third round and because Todd Gurley, you know, was going to be rolling out there in a wheelchair, was going to have this big role last year. Never happened. How many times did I hear that Justice Hill was going to usurp Mark Ingram at some point this season, or at least be the primary passing down back and have this huge role as an explosive weapon. And that never happened. These things happen all the time. It's not about the draft capital. It's about what type of player you are, what type of situation did you land in. That's going to dictate when or if, you truly are going to have a role to contribute. Not every pick is smart by these NFL teams. And I feel like people know that, but when we start talking about fantasy football and they start talking about, well, where this guy was selected, therefore should have X amount of role, that seems to all go out the window. We all know there's draft bus picks all the time, and yet seem to ignore that when we talk about fantasy football. So that's why I like to do this show. I'm here to try to make you... I'm not here just to to help you win. That is the primary focus. But I'm also here to try to help you be a smarter NFL fantasy football owner. That's the main goal. That's the main goal. To make you guys smarter. And that means taking into consideration these different variables of how these things actually work. Detroit Lions... DeAndre Swift does return to practice, but he's still practicing in a limited capacity. This is disappointing. I think there's a real... I mean, look, I always thought there was going to be a more of a 50-50 split when it came to DeAndre Swift and carry on Johnson as far as the carries go with probably a, a, a 60-35 split or a 65-35 split in favor of DeAndre Swift when it came to receiving game. That still should take place in my mind at some point this season, but it might not be week one. Because he's had to miss so much time at practice, it does seem like on Johnson, at least for week one, maybe week two, is going to be the main guy carrying the football. So what I'm saying is that I don't know if you can play DeAndre Swift week one in your flex like you were maybe planning on doing so beforehand. He's another guy who's been kind of getting drafted at his ceiling anyway. I have him more in the 7th, 8th round territory. He's been kind of going in the five 6th round territory I haven't been blasting that one quite as much because he is a much better running back than Carrion Johnson is. And I did think that there's a real chance that early on in the season, had he been able to practice, he would have been the guy getting more of the touches overall early on in the season compared to some of these other rookies like Jonathan Taylor and Camp Akers who are not. So I haven't killed it completely because I thought there could still be a flex for you. But I did think it was a little bit of a stretch to take him in the five, six-round territory when you can still get a high-end wide receiver, too. Or even, in some cases, you can get you know a, a David Johnson type. But I mean, he's not going too far after that. But now it looks more and more like people are going to shift back to where I had him ranked in the first place, seven-day round territory, because it might be week three before he actually gets the role that we even anticipate for him getting. So there's some, something to keep in mind for those first couple of weeks. If you drafted DeAndre Swift, I would maybe try to see if you have a better option, especially for week one. Let's those things. let see how it plays out. See what, if he's able to ramp back up to full participant in practice at some point next week, and then kind of go from there. But if there's a real chance that Kerryon Johnson is going to lead this backfield week one. Hawkinson has not been feeling 100 percent from the ankle. We kind of all know about this, but outside of that report about mid August or so, there hasn't been too much word about him struggling in camp or having an issue with it. Look, Hawkinson's big thing is just, you know, just catch the ball in the end zone. Don't drop it. As long as he catches the ball in the end zone, he should be fine. He should be fine. And he should be a guy who has who's the tight end too who you could probably stream for or draft as a sleeper, but have top 10 potential because would it shock anybody if TJ Hawkinson brought in eight touchdowns? No. Hell, had he not dropped the ball at the clip that he did last year, he probably would have had eight touchdowns a season ago. So I'm not too worried about TJ Hawkinson in the ankle as far as it messing up his sleeper capabilities. Denver... So the big thing about Denver right now is K.J. Hamler. It does look like he might wind up missing the entire month of September with the hamstring injury. Now, K.J. Hamler was never somebody that we really loved as far as redraft purposes or anything like that. But I did think that his role was a vital one when it came to Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton. Because with his role as that third receiver, as a let's say for now in his career, a one trick pony where you just stretch the field. I think that that really helped open everything up for Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, because you weren't going to be able to double them with a the safety and they're going to be able to operate and do what they do best, which is get open in the intermediate, uh, shorter range part of the field and be able to take the ball and break it once it's in their hands, especially with Sutton because he's such a physical phenom. So I thought KJ Hamler's role was vitally important to keep defensive pressure off of those other two guys. Now, even without him, there's still a lot of weapons on there. You still have no fan who can stretch the seam and do something in a similar capacity that uh, KJ Hamler was going to be out there to do. And from a target perspective, like I said, it doesn't really change too much. We know Cortland Sutton's going to be the number one. We knew Jerry Judy was going to be the number two. So it doesn't—it's not—it's not a drastic thing, but I do think it's—it does hurt them a little bit as far as from an NFL concept what they were going what kind of matchups they were going to be able to get on a consistent basis until KJ Hamler gets back. The big question for this team, and we've been talking about this all summer, is just what kind of Drew Locke quarterback are you going to get? And from all intents and purposes, my beliefs on him have been confirmed throughout training camp. And the notes on him have been that he has been wildly inconsistent, especially notably during the scrimmage that they just had this past week as their dress rehearsal that a lot of the teams did. And during that scrimmage, he was wildly inconsistent with accuracy throwing the football. And that's not something that's going to change. And I harped on this from the beginning. That's the only thing to me that could torpedo the value of a Cortland Sutton or torpedo the value of, of a Jerry Judy as a sleeper wide receiver. Because I actually like Jerry Judy this year as far as the rookie wide receivers go and what kind of value he might have even in redraft leagues. But Cortland Sutton's is a big one here because we have Cortland Sutton ranked somebody as a high-end wide receiver too. The one thing I keep reminding myself is that his quarterback play was horrendous last year. They didn't have as good of an offensive scheme. And he was still able to put up big numbers. So my hope is that as long as Drew Locke does not implode to a Ryan Leaf level right off the bat, that he still should be able to put together a very solid, very high-end wide receiver two type of performance. We still know he's going to be the lead targeted guy. And that's really all that matters at the end of the day the for Cortland Sutton because he is a budding superstar in this league. As far as the running backs goes, Gordon he missed a scrimmage due to a rib injury, but it sounded like it was more of a precaution than anything else. He should be good to go for Week One. He is expected to be the lead guy. Philip Lindsay added on ten pounds, so maybe he's a buck fifty soaking wet now. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that matters for Philip Lindsay. Because putting on 10 pounds for Lindsey doesn't, doesn't make him all of a sudden physical enough to hold up in pass protection, which is the biggest reason he hasn't been in on passing down work over the past couple of years. It's why they've had to turn to Royce Freeman. It's a big reason why they signed Melvin Gordon. It's a big reason why Philip Lindsey may not be as big of a part of this backfield as some people thought he would be or should be. Because if you have Melvin Gordon, who's already the better pass catcher and already going to be the lead guy as far as the carries go, then you have a three down back. And while he might not be the three-down back in the sense of a Chris Carson, let's say, who's going in, trying, trying, trying to think of uh, workhorse backs going in that territory, if he, maybe he's not on that level where he's getting definitely 20 carries a game, but I think he's guaranteed about 16 to 18. And if he's also getting the passing down work, we're talking about a guy who's in a role that he could very well be looking at 20-plus touches between receiving and carries. That's a bell cow. Philip Lindsay becomes more of a mere handcuff in that situation rather than a guy who is playing enough to be a flex worthy opportunity. I don't think that's gonna be the case. Is Philip Lindsay too good to just be a mere backup? Yeah, I agree with that, but the problem is, is that they don't play they don't play him on one passing downs. And that's not gonna change under Pat Shermer. And Pat Shermer has more of a history to lean towards one featured guy if he feels like he has that guy in the locker room. That's the other reason why I think it's a good chance that Philip Lindsay may get bumped down to just a mere handcuff. And I have him as somebody that isn't worth drafting unless you have Melvin Gordon. Before we move on to our next team, I do you want to talk to you guys about Prop Me? Definitely use PropMe Me while the NFL season is going on, because this is going to be a lot of fun. And it's really easy to use, because PropMe Me is a new innovative gaming platform, and it's really the first of its kind. PropMe Me makes betting from person to person more easy than ever, designed for new and experienced gamblers alike using straightforward prop bets that can be literally created on anything. You want to bet on what that next play will be? Then create a prop. You want to bet on who's going to win that game of beer pong? then create a prop. It takes hanging out with your friends to a whole new level. So join today by downloading the Prop Me app or go to propmellc.com.
0: You really can sell to anyone from anywhere.
1: This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Start selling online today. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Shopify.com slash free 22. Internet connection required. Not available on mountaintops or sea floors.
2: Now we got, the, we got the Dallas Cowboys. I was about to say Cleveland Browns. We got the Dallas Cowboys. So Amari Cooper has been missing practices. They have not disclosed exactly what the issue is as to why he's been either limited or missing practices over the past week. The only thing they have said have been steadfast on is that he is in no danger of missing week one. It's really all that's important. Amari Cooper, we've talked about him at nauseam on the show because I've made my case as to why he's my wide receiver five, why I'm higher on him than almost any other fantasy expert out there. That's the reason why. Cause he's going to be in a great situation. He's going to get to play the slot a lot. He's going to get the best matches. The be, the best matchups, I should say. Michael Gallup, CeeDee Lamb are gonna be are gonna be tremendous. But with them playing in the perimeter, Mari Cooper playing the slot, there's no slot corner who can stick with Mari Cooper. Nobody. He's gonna be the number one target of Dak Prescott. They paid him and I think I've talked about this yesterday. They paid him twenty million dollars he's going to be the guy. He's going to be the guy. There's going to be the emphasis to make sure Amari Cooper is the guy because they have to now justify that contract. That's an aspect of this. So we love Amari Cooper. As long as he's not going to miss week one, we're not worried about it. And that's what they've been pretty consistent on. Other than that, there hasn't been too many no's coming out of Dallas. The only one I could think of is that yesterday it came out that there was maybe some questioning as to exactly how dominant Blake Jarwin's role is going to be at the tight end position because he has been struggling with blocking. But there's really no tight end of note with the Dallas Cowboys. And like I said, we talked about he's still a good tight end to a streaming option that you're going to have because he's just going to have games and matchups where the defense just doesn't pay attention to him. Especially with teams that don't have as good a tight end defense. He's going to get left wide open in the middle of the field. He's going to left wide open in the seam. He's going to be left wide open in the red zone sometimes. So even if they wind up going with somebody to block on running down situations more so than not, again, snaps for the tight end don't matter as much when it comes to fantasy football. All that matters is that the guy that you have is out there in the opportunistic times that you need your tight end pass catcher to be out there. That's it. Mark Andrews proved that a year ago doesn't really matter as much. Rob Gronkowski very well might prove that this season. Blake Jarwin could be another one of those guys. Not on the same level, of course, but in that kind of role, in that kind of capacity. Next up. Now we got the Cleveland Browns. So Nick Chubb, he's all good from his concussion. That is the big news there. Kareem Hunt has been taking meetings with the wide receivers. We've, We've talked about that. We talked about as to why we point to that as a reason that we know, at the very least, Kareem Hunt is very much part of this game plan. This is not going to just be Nick Chubb's backfield. He should get most of the carries, but Kareem Hunt's going to get most of the receiving work, and he's not going to be left out on the rushing game either. That's what we talked about. I have no problem drafting Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. In fact, I might even go as far as to say that if I wind up drafting Nick Chubb, I would want to make sure I get Kareem Hunt. I mean, we all know what Kareem Hunt might be if Nick Chubb goes down, but either way, you got Nick Chubb who's going to be a high-end RB2 in our eyes here at the MD News Football Show with, with a ceiling that could put him in the RB1 conversation without a doubt. And we also view Kareem Hunt as a guy that we very much would love to be able to play in the flex every single week. And a guy who has tremendous value if something were to happen to Nick Chubb. But most importantly, we think he can definitely be a high-end flex play even with Chubb out there. So I have no... And if I'm a Nick Chubb owner, I'm going to make sure that I am protecting myself in that scheme, in that backfield. I might make a point to draft Kareem Hunt, even if that means giving up my second and my fifth round pick to the Cleveland backfield. This is going to be a good running attack. And not just because Stephen Stefanski in the system, but this offensive line... That hasn't been talked about within this, you know, this hype of Nick Chubb and Cream Hunt and Sam Kisifansky and in this Cleveland offense moving in. This offensive line hasn't been talked about nearly enough. It's going to be a good offensive line this year, guys, and they fit this system to a T. So that's a note to keep in there too, especially if you're still drafting, or if you're a Nick Chubb owner now, maybe see what it would take to get Cream Hunt off of somebody. Landry is good for week one. There was some question early on in training camp about what that was going to be. Was he definitely going to be ready for week one or not? He's been practicing in full. He's good to go. So we don't have to worry about Jarvis Landry. That's the good news there, too. I mean, and, and Beckham says he's you know, come out and said that he feels a lot better at this time this year than he did at this time last year, which is, I mean, just great news. Look, when it comes to Landry and Beckham, all it really matters is are they healthy? There's not, Rashard Higgins is going to be the wide receiver three. There's not a third pass catcher that I'm overly concerned about in Cleveland. Even if they don't throw, even if they throw the ball a mere 500 times, which is what I do have them projected for. It's why I'm not as big on Baker Mayfield. But even if they throw the ball only 500 times, because it's so top heavy, the target share where that ball is going to be going between OBJ and Jarvis Landry, they can still get both get over 100 targets, even on a low volume passing team. Because it's not going to be Austin Hooper. It's not going to be Rashard Higgins. Hooper's going to be involved in the red zone. But look at what Kevin Stefanski had at his disposal a season ago. A team that ran two tight end sets as much as they did, Irv Smith Jr., Kyle Rudolph, were, were not very relevant. They weren't stealing a lot of targets. Now, it's a little bit of a different situation. I want to make sure that everyone knows that I'm acknowledging that because you just paid Austin Hooper... You know, at the time anyway, before Kelsey and Kittle got their contract extensions, you basically just paid him to be the number one tight end in the NFL. So there should probably be at least a little bit more of an emphasis to use Austin Hooper than he used Irv Smith Jr. or Kyle Rudolph last year. And Baker Mayfield has a natural rapport with the tight end position in general in his short young career when it comes to the red zone. So I don't expect that to change either. And Austin Hooper is our tight end eight because of his red zone capabilities. But he's not looking at the targets that he got with Atlanta last season. It's just very top heavy as far as the target share goes to Odell, Bell, Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry. And they're supposedly more healthy than they were a season ago at this point and are good to go for week one. Cincinnati, Joe Mixon, he got his new contract. Return to practice right away. The migraines dissipated as soon as he signed the check. My migraine would dissipate too if I got that kind of money. So he's good to go. He's back. He's in action. He's a RB1 for us this season. He's a guy that we have no problem taking if you were drafting in the later end of the first round. If you're in standard leagues, you're in half-point PBR leagues, I'd rather have Joe Mixon than Michael Thomas this season. Because training camp even before he, quote-unquote, held out for those few days with the migraine, quote-unquote, injury, is that they have been raving about Joe Mixon and been raving about how this offense was going to flow through Joe Mixon. Which indicates to me that what they did towards the second half of last season when Mixon took off and became a top five running back in fantasy football for that stretch, that that's what they're going to do again this season. Even with Joe Burrow and A.J. Green back and John Ross back, the biggest thing was that at the beginning of the season last year, they seemed to want to fool around with trying to play Mixon and Genevieve Bernard for some reason. I don't know what... Is, nobody can still tell me what the reason is for that. Nobody knows what the reason is for that. But it doesn't look like that's going to be an issue this season. Which is the only thing that's really important when it comes down to it. So Mixon's good to go. He's back. You can draft him in round one and not worry about it. Or if you have him, You got your RB1. Congratulations. AJ Green doing individual work. It sounds like he should be fine for week one. They keep calling this precaution, but he has been out from not practicing in full for over a week now, I believe. Might even be closer to two weeks. And that's that's too long to just be considered a precaution at this point. So I'm a little bit weary about that, but he is doing individual work. He is running again. It does sound like he will be back for week one. So it's not going to cost him any games early on this hamstring issue, that tweak that they, they keep calling it. But it is a little bit, I would say if you're being a smart fantasy owner about this, it is a little bit more than just a precaution at this point. Now, having said that, am I lowering AJ green? From being a high-end wide receiver 2 with wide receiver 1 potential, am I lowering him from the area that I would be drafting him in that 6th round territory? No. Absolutely not. Because he's not going to miss any games as a result of this injury. And I'm not going to pass on a guy who truly has wide receiver 1 potential that I can get in the 6th round. There's no chance. No chance I'm passing on that opportunity. So this does not knock me off of that, in case you were wondering. Chicago Bears. David Montgomery, we know the report came out on him. Missed two to four weeks. He's definitely going to miss week one. He may miss week two. Should be back by week three. So that's kind of what you're looking at. The Bears still still not have made a move at the running back position. I'm a little surprised by that. I am a little surprised by that. Now, Adrian Peterson just became available I don't know if they go that route, but you still have him. I kind of thought that maybe they go the Devontae Freeman route. I thought they would try to sign a veteran back just just to get him through a couple of weeks. And maybe somebody that they felt like they could keep on the depth chart in case Montgomery didn't pick up his game, didn't become more efficient, or in case he was not able to return when they wanted to, because it is a groin issue. We saw last year with Odell Beckham, groin issues can linger. They can be very, very difficult to get over. So even when David Montgomery comes back, it's not a guarantee that he's going to be fully healthy and ready to go. So I'm just very surprised they haven't tried to sign a veteran back to bring in some depth and bring in at least an insurance policy even when David Montgomery comes back. But there are some other guys available now. and We'll see what they wind up doing. We still have a week away till the season starts. In the meantime, I mean, at the very least, you know Tariq Cohen is going to have one hell of a role. They've been talking about him, that he's in better shape than he was a season ago at this point. They've been talking about how they feel like Matt Nagy has failed to get him involved as much as he should, especially in the passing game. So I think we're going to see him in a more assertive satellite role, where he's truly going to be in the backfield every third down, unlike last year. I mean, last year was just weird as far as play calling goes in, in, in general. Tariq Cohen's somebody who does become very interesting to me in half-point and full-point PPR leagues as a flex play. Because if he's going to have that satellite role, and because I know the quarterback play is going to suck and you have two guys who like to check down the ball, if he is going to be more involved, if he is in better shape, I mean, there's a case to be made that Tariq Cohen could be the second pass catcher to Allen Robinson on this offense. I don't know that's going to happen. It should be Anthony Miller. But there's definitely a case to be made in favor of Tariq Cohen. Especially given this quarterback group who loves to check the ball down. So he's interesting to me in full point and half point PBR leagues when it comes to flex territory. And then especially when you kick it off with David Montgomery at least missing the first two weeks. And being that's a groin injury, we don't know exactly how he's going to be when he comes back from that. He may be more involved this season than we thought he was going to be even rushing the football to some degree. Now, he's never going to be a bell cow. he'll get it twisted. But he has a little bit more of a ceiling than he initially did. And a little bit more importantly, in Tariq Cohen's case, a little bit more of a floor that you can actually trust and maybe find yourself in the position being okay with playing him on a week-to-week basis in that flex position. Next up, we got the Carolina Panthers. Ian Thomas, he did have toe surgery. X-rays came back negative. He should be good for week one. It doesn't sound like it's anything too major. He's good to go. So that's... I guess the good news there, I mean, Ian Thomas is somebody who's nothing more than a streaming tight end anyway. He's not somebody I felt like he should be drafting unless he was going to be one of your sleeper guys. He kind of falls into that group of a Blake Jarwin, a John News Smith, a uh, TJ Hawkinson. For some people, Mike Kosicki, but not for this show, not for MD nation, right? Let someone else make that mistake. He falls into that group. So would this maybe be a tiebreaker for me? Sure. As far as like, well, you got a little bit banged up where these other guys really haven't. They've been healthy pretty much throughout training camp or at least have, haven't have missed practice time anyway. But he was somebody that I w- uh, could just be a streaming option at some point in the season anyway. Uh, the note that we have to talk about a little bit when it comes to Carolina Panthers is you know, something everyone's been questioning, is Teddy Bridgewater. And the big thing I've been questioning is the, his deep ball ability. I mean, look, it could be coach speak. It very well could be. There's been a lot of positive reports about a lot of players this training camp. And, and it's sometimes it's difficult to decipher what's coach speak and what's actually something tangible to take with you into your drafts, into your seasons. But Teddy Bridgewater has been amped up all season, all training camp long as somebody who has been impressing throwing the deep ball. That he does have a much better deep ball much more accurate deep ball than a lot of people want to give him credit for. Now that, that comment came from Matt rule, but it's been backed up by beat writers who have been able to see some practices. So it's more than just one person talking about this more than just the coach who has been noting that Bridgewater maybe has a better deep ball than most people realize. And the big factor of that is coming off the heels of report that him and Robbie Anderson have maybe been clicking more than any other wide receiver on the Carolina Panthers. That would indicate to me that he is, in fact, doing well with the deep ball because that's going to be Robbie Anderson's role within this offense. If it was you know, DJ Moore's been DJ Moore as far as we would expect him to be through this training camp, uh, as far as reports on him have been. But because there's been such an amplified indication that Teddy Bridgewater and Robbie Anderson have been on the same page so far this training camp, that would indicate to me that Teddy Bridgewater has, in fact, been maybe more aggressive than people expected him to be while in practice and has been throwing those deep balls pretty well because that's gonna be his role. He's gonna be down the field. DJ Moore is to be handling, you know, the short range, intermediate area, and Curtis Samuel will be handling, you know, everything else in between. So that does indicate to me that he has in fact been pretty good on deep ball with Robbie Anderson. Being that there does seem to be a big rapport there. The reason that's huge is because Well, one, we were big on Teddy Bridgewater here on this show. He is our QB 14. So, obviously, that makes me happy because that backs up my argument that he's a high-end QB 2 who's definitely going to be somebody who's going to be streamed throughout the season and somebody who has great potential. This is a great offensive system, and he has a great amount of weapons. And if he's able, in his first year since you know way back when with the Minnesota Vikings— Going into his first year knowing in the offseason he's the starting quarterback, if he's able to now be more aggressive because of that, because he feels more confident now in who he is as a player, where he's at in his rehabilitation from that nasty injury, and where he's at in his NFL career and knowledge, if he's going to be more aggressive, then this offense is sky's the limit, because they have all the firepower that you could possibly want. The only question was, is Teddy Bridgewater, can he be and will he be as aggressive as you need him to be? That's been the big question, and that was the big answer that we've gotten so far in training camp. But that's also a big reason why we haven't been as big on DJ Moore as a lot of other people. There's a lot of weapons. And if Teddy Bridgewater is going to be aggressive, that means Robbie Anderson is going to be more involved than people want to give him credit for. And you still have to mix in Curtis Samuel, Ian Thomas, and you still have to mix in Christian McCaffrey's 100 targets that he's probably going to get. The Buffalo Bills. So the big thing about the Buffalo Bills, of course, has been the backfield, right? What What's the role exactly going to be for Zach Moss and, and Devin Singletary? And the, the news and notes that we've gotten from training Camp have been that Zach Moss is fully anticipating having a significant role week one. What does that tell you? Well tells me two things. It tells me he's going to be involved in the goal line because that's where his practice reps have gone. And it tells me that he might be more involved in the passing game. This could be a Ryan Matthews, Mike Tolbert situation. I like using that a lot, that, that, that metaphor, that example. If Mike Tolbert could also actually catch the ball, if you can imagine that. Devin Singletary might be relegated to between the 20s work on first and second down to relegate that even further. So Zach Moss might be getting the receptions and the touchdown opportunities. Which means Zach Moss might actually might wind up being the more fantasy valuable back who you can draft in your 13th, 14th rounds, 12th rounds of your of your redraft leagues and 10, 12 team leagues. Now, he's he's graduated from somebody who at times wasn't even being drafted to usually being drafted in those later rounds. But instead of spending the 7th, 8th round pick on Devin Singletary, I'd much rather own Zach Moss later on because he very well might be in the more fantasy opportunistic situations this year. And it looks like the big thing on him of course was durability. He stayed healthy throughout training camp, so that was the big, you know, big obstacle out of his way or it's not completely out of his way obviously, but that was the big obstacle he had to get over in training camp cuz you stay healthy through that. He did. And now you find yourselves in a situation where this very much is going to be a split backfield. It's just clear the way the Bills have treated Devin Singletary, who's had fumbling issues in training camp by the way, which has also paved the way for Zach Moss. It's just clear that they don't really trust him to be their guy. The way they talk about him, where they critique him, the roles that they want Zach Moss to have. They don't really go out of their way to amplify Devin Singletary's confidence in any kind of way. It's just it's kind of it's one of those reading between the line situations where it's just clear that they're not sold on Devin Singletary. I don't think Devin Singletary is bad. I think he actually is a pretty competent NFL running back. I think there's a lot of things he can do very well. But it's just clear he's never going to be in a situation to have the workload. And if you're going to take away his goal line carries and he's not going to be the main passing down guy, well, then all of a sudden there's a whole new low level floor that we're talking about when it comes to Devin Singletary that you kind of have to watch out for. Where really he becomes nothing more than a flex guy, and because of Zach Moss's opportunities, he becomes a flex guy too. I, I my tiebreaker. I mean, I have Devin Sartin ranked higher, obviously, because I still have him getting more of the work overall at the end of the year. But I wouldn't be surprised if if Zach Moss was right there for him, almost touch for touch. Almost, he's not going to usurp him. barring an injury, Zach Moss isn't going to usurp him. But the fantasy point-wise, he might be getting more of the opportunities that you want your running back to get. So they might be nothing more than flex options. And the one flex option, Zach Moss, you can get about five rounds later. Next up, we want to talk about the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson, good to go. Practice 100%. Nobody was ever worried. Mark Ingram is the starter. J.K. Dobbins is the number two. They've talked about trying to trade away Gus Edwards if they could find an offer for him that hasn't been the case thus far. We still have cuts to get through. We know teams are thin at running back. He's somebody who could be interesting. And we know Justin Hill is a special teams player. Like I said from the beginning, ever since they drafted J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, Justice Hill, you can move aside. The touches that they got last season now get allocated to J.K. Dobbins, which means J.K. Dobbins is somebody who could be a flex option.
1: Hi, I'm Maria.
2: And I'm Mike.
0: And we're Team Team ready.
1: Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is, so they want you to be ready.
0: It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible.
1: Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather.
0: Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready.
2: Early on in the season, not week one. We still got to see how this backfield plays out a little bit. But those, I don't know, eight to 14 touches a game that Gus Edwards and Justice Hill combined were getting... To Mark Ingram's 15 to 18. Those could all go to J.K. Dobbins. If that's going to be the case in this Baltimore Ravens offense, we know the way they run the ball with Lamar Jackson. We know what they're capable of doing. He is somebody who's a flex option. I do not believe at any point he's going to usurp Mark Ingram this year. Not this year. But Ingram's contract is up at the end of this season. J.K. Dobbins is the future. Barring an injury though, Mark Ingram just fits very he sets a philosophy of what they want to be. A very physical downhill type of guy. It's it's an attitude, it's an en- it's an energy, it's it's an identity that the Ravens have with Mark Ingram as the starter running back. I think that they're gonna continue with that. So I don't think J.K. Dobbins is gonna usurp him at any point, but he's gonna be a flex play, and if Mark Ingram gets hurt, we're talking about J.K. Dobbins as an RB1 because he's also gonna be involved in the passing game. So if you have Mark Ingram, I think it's imperative that you try to get J.K. Dobbins. And even if you don't, he's somebody I'm still good taking in the eighth, ninth round because I have somebody with flex viability and RB1 potential if things go his way. Nothing else really to take out of. I thought there would be more news about the wide receivers of the Baltimore Ravens. And other than Marquise Brown looking good and putting on weight, which has been excellent. And Miles Boykin maintaining his role as the outside perimeter wide receiver. There haven't been too many other notes. Um, Mark Andrews obviously is going to play more that Hayden Hurst isn't out there. But as far as fantasy perspective, I don't really care. I, didn't, I mean, it doesn't really help me when Mark Andrews blocks. So it wasn't really too many other notes to take out of the Baltimore Ravens. So we move on to the Atlanta Falcons. Where we know Calvin Ridley is expected to have a big season. We know Julio Jones is Julio Jones. We talked about Hayden Hurst ad nauseum on this show being our number one sleeper tight end, our number six tight end overall, we know that it's an even year. Matt Ryan should do well. I mean, basically, that's what it boils down to. So the only news or note that is we have to talk about would be Todd Gurley. And not from what you expect, because we talked about Todd Gurley quite a bit, but the fact that we are getting... What's the word? We're getting backed up. We are getting a vote of confidence in our analysis of Todd Gurley to this point from the coaching staff of the Atlanta Falcons after the scrimmage that they had, I believe it was either last Friday or last Saturday in that scrimmage, it was reported by multiple people. And the, com, the quote, the quote, and the comment that we're going to talk about comes from Dirk Cutter himself. But even from people who got to see the scrimmage, I all took note that, you know what? Todd Gurley looked explosive. Todd Gurley was able to turn the corner. He was able to outrun the edge He was able to make big plays. He was able to do Todd Gurley things. And that's what I've been harping on this entire time. If you actually sat down and watched the film on Todd Gurley last year, and you watched when he was actually in a situation where he had the opportunity to turn the corner, whether it was on a wheel route, whether it was on a zone stretch run play, when he had the opportunity to turn the corner, he did. And he got around people, and he blew past people. It didn't happen very often because of how bad the Rams' offensive line was last season. It didn't happen very often because, for some reason, Sean McVay decided not to target the running back position last year in the passing game. But when he was given the opportunity to do so, I'm speaking more towards the second half of the season when they finally started just feeding him the ball... He was able to do so when given the opportunity. He was able to turn the corner, which is why I was never worried about Todd Gurley as long as he's healthy out there on the field. Because I knew once he was in a better situation, which Atlanta is immensely, as far as offensive line goes. I know a lot of people realize that or believe that, but you're going to notice that this year with that young talent that's been developing and the fact that their offense just has more firepower than the Rams do at this point you're going to see it this season where he's going to have more opportunities to make those bigger plays to be able to turn the corner again. And that was the big report for him coming out of that scrimmage was that he impressed everyone involved. And it just gives us an extra confidence here of what we've been telling you this entire summer. But that's it really for the Atlanta Falcons. Arizona Cardinals, which is the last thing that we have to talk about from the news or notes situation. Kenyon Drake returns to practice. Still been a little bit limited. DeAndre Hopkins has been managed since sustaining the hamstring injury. He would come back in a limited capacity here, miss a day or two of practice, come back a little bit here. Again, kind of like A.J. Green, this has been going on too long for it to just be merely a precaution, even though he's not somebody who is considered in danger of missing week one but it does sound like it's something that's genuinely bothering him. I've already talked about DeAndre Hopkins being one of our bus wide receivers because he doesn't belong in the top five. And we don't even have him in the top 10. We have him wide receiver 14, but doesn't belong in the top five. Doesn't belong as your second round pick. And it just this just amplifies the argument for me because one of my big things was that He's coming into a situation, he does not have any previous chemistry with Kyler Murray on an offense that's designed to target one wide receiver above all. It's designed to spread the ball out quite a bit. Going into a new situation on a new team, it doesn't normally work out for wide receivers that well in a shortened off season. And now on top of it, you've been missing the few practices that you've even had at your disposal. This just goes to amplify the point that I don't believe DeAndre Hopkins is going to get off to a great start this season. And I don't believe he's going to have a true wide receiver one type of year. Now, he is an elite player. Do not get me twisted. He has a competent quarterback and an offense that's designed to pass the ball. So he's still going to be a high wide receiver, too. And I'm not going to be surprised one moment if, he's, if he finishes in the top ten. But this goes to further amplify the point to not overdraft DeAndre Hopkins, that he is one of those higher-end draft guys that does look like he could possibly be a landmine in our eyes. MD Nation, let someone else make that mistake. That wraps up all the teams that I wanted to talk to you guys about today. But we do have the mailbag segment. But before we get into that, we got to have a word from our sponsor, Called Trophy Smack. You guys should probably all know what they're about, what they've heard, what they do by now, especially if you've been in fantasy football for any length of time. But you could commemorate your league winner in the best possible way. There is no other company in the business that does it better than Trophy Smack. They create trophies of all sizes, belts, and rings with a variety of colors, along with free engraving and free shipping. And now you can get a free ring with your purchase of a trophy or belt if you use the promo code BellyUp. So click on your Trophy Smack link on Twitter or on Facebook or go to TrophySmack.com and use the promo code BELLYUP on your order today. So now we got the mailbag segment. Remember, if you want to get on the mailbag segment or if you just need your questions and you need some fancy advice and help at any given point in time, you can always contact the MD Nation hotline, 609 362 You can always contact us on Twitter and Facebook at BellyUpMDFFShow or you can email us directly MDS Fantasy Football at gmail.com. We're over an hour today, so again, we're only going to get to three questions. That's usually the minimum that I try to get to. And I picked out my top three here. So we have Pilsner from Twitter. OBJ or DJ Moore, he's asking for his draft. Which one would you draft higher? Half-point PPR league. Again, no brainer. OBJ. We kind of talk. We got. It's kind of nice because we got to talk about both of these guys already in the leagues and those to some degree in this episode. But it's with without a doubt OBJ. Look, OBJ is not. I don't. I don't know why people seem to have this impression that after last year he's like done or he's not OBJ anymore. Or I don't. I. I don't know what the perception. Why it's such a negative perception on him. Because the arguments haven't been about his injuries. Which is what, if you're going to knock OBJ, if you're going to be negative on OBJ, then then the argument that you need to have is because you're worried about his injuries. You're worried about his health. You don't think he can stay healthy for a 16-game season anymore. And if if that's your main argument, then I'm not necessarily going to argue with you. Because it's a valid argument. I would say to you that he's still a young player. He hasn't lost his explosiveness when he's healthy. He's still OBJ. He's still a dynamic wide receiver and he's in a situation where he should easily be getting 120 targets because there just aren't a lot of guys to spread the ball around in that offense when it comes to the passing game. So they don't have to be a high volume passing team for him to get about 120 targets, which is what we haven't projected at. Now, as far as OBJ and DJ Moore question goes, I mean, if you've been listening to the show at all, you know that we are favoring OBJ. First of all, he's our wide receiver 10 and a half point PPR league, while DJ Moore is our wide receiver 30. I've talked about DJ Moore. I talked about it a little bit on this show. There's a lot of mouths to feed on that team. I don't necessarily know if I believe that I Carolina Panthers will throw for 600 pass attempts. That's something that's in the cards. I don't have them projected for throwing that. I have them projected for throwing about 580. Which if you ask yourself, well, what's 20 extra attempts? It can, it's the identity of an offense. It's, it can be a big thing. And it's just a lot of guys to feed. And if, they, if, if Teddy Bridgewater and Robbie Anderson truly have been firing on all cylinders as far as their chemistry goes, well, then it might not just be DJ Moore gobbling up all the targets in this offense. Because Teddy Bridgewater might not be the conservative game manager that most people seem to just want to make him out to be. He might actually be a competent NFL quarterback, which is what I believe him to be, and be able to throw to all levels of the field, which is is what I believe he will be able to do. DJ Moore is built on volume. He's not a guy who gets a lot of touchdown looks. And that's the one thing that everybody seems to be able to agree on, at least. They recognize he's not really a red zone guy. So, if he's not in line for head and shoulders above everybody else volume, I don't understand why this is somebody who consistently gets picked in the teens of wide receivers. Which is why I have not wide receiver 30. But either way, even if you don't agree with that, and a lot of people don't, OBJ has a much higher ceiling. A, he's actually done it before. He's actually finished in the top five of wide receivers. We know he has that capability. He's not transitioning teams out of nowhere like he was a season ago. And this should be, at the very least, while I'm not a big proponent of Kevin Stefanski, it should be a more competent offense than what Freddie Kitchens was trying to run a season ago. And I know what OBJ can do. I know that he can catch a ball anywhere on the field and take it to the house at any given time, as long as he's healthy. And for right now, he is. And that is a question mark. And frankly, that's why OBJ is our wide receiver 10 and not our wide receiver 5. Because I question the injury factor. So for us, hands down, it's it's OBJ there, Pilsner. Next up, Cornseed2424 from Twitter asked me, I got offered Zach Moss for Leonard Fournette. And I thought this was hilarious. And he's asking me if... I shouldn't say this hilarious. I thought this was very interesting because this is something that I've seen a lot of the past few days. And he's asking whether or not you should deal the deal. So, Leonard Fournette gets cut by the Jaguars on Monday or Tuesday. Uh, I think it was Monday. And Leonard Fournette owners then, I think, were panicking less than when he got signed with Tampa Bay now? And I say that to say this, because I was not hit up for all these trades about Leonard Fournette, about whether or not they should trade away Leonard Fournette or what they should trade Leonard Fournette for there were some, but not nearly as much as there are now after he signed with Tampa Bay, after knowing what his situation is going to be. And that seems to be because there's this narrative out there that people actually believe Bruce Arians when he says that it's just, this is going to be Ronald Jones' backfield unless he screws it up for the entire season. you got to be kidding me. First of all, uh, Bruce Arians along with Pete Carroll are two coaches that you got to take whatever they say with a grain of salt and put it in one ear and out the other. Leonard Fournette fits what Bruce Arians wants to do. The only reason why Bruce Arians can get away with saying what he's saying for now is because that for week one, that might be true. For week one, it might be Ronald Jones' backfield over Leonard Fournette because we're a week away or a week and a half away from when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers play and Leonard Fournette just got put into the fold. So yeah, week one, Ronald Jones might get more volume than Leonard Fournette. Because they're still trying to get him enthralled into the offense. But I guarantee you, come week two, Leonard Fournette's a starter. All Ronald Jones has to do is miss one block. All Ronald Jones has to do is drop one pass. All he has to do is fumble one time. I guarantee you, one of those three things happens in that week one. And that will be the excuse Bruce Arians uses going into week two to suddenly name Leonard Fournette the starting running back of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't know why people are panicking on this. I'm a Leonard Fournette owner in quite a few leagues. I was over the moon when he signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Over the moon. He has a chance for a higher ceiling than he did with Jacksonville. Now, I'm not talking about more volume, because that's not going to be the case. But more opportunities to actually put up fantasy points he's the better pass catcher to Ronald Jones or anybody in that backfield. They just cut De'er, Re O'Wabo who Mufasa, whatever his name is. I don't feel bad about not being able to pronounce it now because he's not on NFL team anymore because they just cut him this morning who was supposed to be the quote-unquote best pass catcher running back in that backfield. He's gone. Now, they cut him for two reasons. One, it does seem they want to keep LaShawn McCoy on the roster because Bruce Arians loves veteran backs. That's really the only reason I can come up with. Number two, it's because uh, Bruce Arians, while he may BS the media, knows, this is a smart guy, knows that Leonard Fournette is the best pass catcher on that team. They don't need him. They don't need him. Leonard Fournette's going to get a lot of touchdowns this year this offense is going to get a lot of touchdowns this year but Leonard Fournette is going to get a lot of touchdowns this year and other than week one am I playing Leonard Fournette week one no no I'm not but that's not because I am hesitant of the situation that he's in for the season that's just because I recognize that there's a pretty good chance he's not going to be the bell cow come week one joining a new team with a week and a half to practice with that new team before they kick off the season that's the only reason there. The one that you have to keep reminding yourself is that when it comes to players switching teams, the, t- the position that has the easiest transition overall is the running back position. It's not like the receiver where they have a whole offseason, they switch teams and it doesn't go as well, or a quarterback who has a whole offseason under a new coach or a new situation, and sometimes it doesn't go as well. It's not the same thing. The running back is the easiest transitional position to go from a team to team from a scheme to scheme. I'm not worried about Leonard Fournette. I know Ronald Jones is a bum. I don't need confirmation there. Guy couldn't beat out Peyton Barber, please. So to answer your question, absolutely not. Leonard Fournette has, in my mind, a floor of an RB2 and actually has now, with the touchdown potential before him, low-end RB1 potential. And I'm, I'm serious about this. Look, our rankings have been updated on the Belly Up Fantasy Sport, for, Sports website. You go to www.bellyupfantasysports.com. They've been updated. And you'll see on there that we have Leonard Fournette as RB17. Now he went to Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Like I said, not for week one, but for the season, absolutely. So no, I'm not trading Leonard Fournette for Zach Moss. Shouldn't even be a question. Next up, we got Ward from Facebook. He asked me, this is a good question actually now, especially given the, the news about Adrian Peterson, Antonio Gibson or Dobbins in a half-point PPR league. Now, we have Dobbins ranked higher. And I, like I said, I, this, that's also partially I haven't been able to adjust my rankings yet because that news just came out. I'll be doing that later on today at some point. But I still have Dobbins higher. First of all, Dobbins is a more dynamic talent. He's actually been a running back in in college and a a guy who's had a heavy workload and a guy who's in a much better offense, a much better situation. So as far as the fundamental aspect of this question, it's Dobbins head and shoulders above Antonio Gibson. And hopefully that should put in perspective some of the people out there who are getting overly excited by Antonio Gibson after Adrian Peterson was cut too. when you're heading into your drafts, because the argument, when you, when you lay it out like this, when you go player-to-player player comparison, sometimes it can give you a better perspective on what to expect out of certain players or, or who has really the better path to be more productive. I don't think there's anybody out there who can really make the argument to me that Antonio Gibson has a path to be more productive than J.K. Dobbins this season. Nobody. Because I think everybody needs to recognize that Antonio Gibson is not going to be the bell cow. So once you recognize that, well, what's his role going to be? It could maybe be the passing down work It could maybe be 70% of it, J.D. McKissie getting mixed in. It could maybe be 40% of the carries with a Peyton Barber getting mixed in. And that would give him a decent amount of volume. But it's for a Washington team that's not going to score a lot of points per game. It's for, compared to a J.K. Dobbins, who is in line for maybe low-end double-digit touches, but still a decent amount of touches as it is, in a much better offense designed for the running back for more opportunities to score. Who, unlike Antonio Gibson, who I don't believe at any point is going to be the majority bell cow carrier, J.K. Dobbins could be if something were to happen to Mark Ingram. And a pass catcher. And a more prototypical NFL running back. And a guy who's played the running back position doesn't have as much of a learning curve than Antonio Gibson does. It's J.K. Dobbins. So hopefully that'll put in perspective for you because J.K. Dobbins is somebody who's going between the seventh and ninth rounds. Hopefully that'll put in perspective for you maybe where you should be taking Antonio Gibson. You know what? He should be going after that. He's not somebody who jumps up to five, six round territory, which is what I fear is going to happen this weekend when people have their drafts. Now that Adrian Peterson has been cut, I fear that people are going to do that. So MD nation, say it with me. If someone wants to take Antonio Gibson in the fifth physics round, let him. Don't be afraid of that. Let someone else make that mistake. I'd rather have JK Dobbins. Like, so my rankings haven't been updated yet, but I can guarantee you you'll still be ranked higher. That wraps up the show for today. guys, Guess what? This was our last off-season show. That's why I went a little bit longer. But we are back next Thursday with regular season season, season programming. We're going to be previewing the Thursday night game. We're going to be previewing the early Sunday games, and we're going to have a mailbag segment for you guys for all your Start system questions. Make sure you're checking that out. Make sure you are the MD Nation hotline, 609-362-2480. Make sure you're hitting us on social media at Show. Make sure you're following us on Twitter. Have those player notifications updated. Make sure you check out our rankings on BellyUpFantasySports.com. And we're going to have our week one rankings available to you guys early on next week. Everyone have a great week. Countdown the football I can't wait to get back at it, to be back in season form with you guys next Thursday. Everyone have a great time.
1: Thank you for listening to Belly Up Sports, MD's fantasy football show.